0: Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Mariciello.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us once again on the Higher Potential Living Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Nurse Kate, aka Caitlin Ray. Now, Caitlin is a registered maternity nurse and an expert in postpartum support. And I have to say, she's super, super passionate about the work that she does. And in this episode, we really dive into some of the nuances and some of the aspects that maybe we don't think about going into um, childbirth and going into having a newborn in your lives. So in this episode, we do just that. We talk a little bit about some of the do's and don'ts, some good to know's. And uh, hopefully you find this podcast episode both Educational and entertaining because, as we're going to find out, Kate is also a little bit of an amateur voice actor as well. So, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and thanks for joining me, Caitlin. How are you doing today?
0: I'm very well. Thank you, Jason. How are you? I should
1: call you Nurse Kate. That's
0: yeah, that's more appropriate for it's this. It's more
1: fitting talk. for what we're, we're talking about today. Exactly. I, I'm really excited to jump into all of this. For those that are listening right now, um, Nurse Kate and I actually met at a coaching certification program. And we were partnered up for some different uh, brainstorming sessions and everything. And that's where I actually got the initial inside scoop of kind of what you've been developing what you've been doing a little bit of your life story and everything else mm-hmm. um which is why-, why
0: i was taking coaching because it sort of ties in right like that was what drove so much good coaching.
1: foreshadowing going on right now uh so why don't we just kind of like jump into it let's start mm-hmm. back to before the coaching certification before all that i, I understand when i was actually- born well, maybe not well although that kind of ties in maybe we won't go that far back but I remember you telling me that you actually originally you started out going to school to become a teacher yes so let's take it from there you started you obviously as a teacher even the idea of wanting to help other people and educate was already planted at a, at a young age
0: yeah well to be honest it all started way back when in grade nine when I wanted to become a doctor originally hmm. and so it was, it was doctor, then it was teacher, then it was doctor, then it was teacher. And like, that was back and forth in my mind. And so I just wanted to keep all my options open. So I took, you know, all the sciences and math and stuff. And I'm thought, I'm going to take sciences in university, I'm either going to become a doctor. And if I can't make it that way, I'm going to become a high school science teacher, because I'm just super passionate about science and how the human body works and all that I took a kinesiology program and I loved the human body and so my first year was at Western University in Sciences and um, I found I was really struggling when it came to like physics and chemistry and I just like that was a hard thing for me to wrap my head around but um, I had um, a really helpful conversation with my parents one night where you know my dad who's a warrior he's like you know Kate there's no job demand he's Italian he's like, you know, there's no job demand for uh, teachers right now. Like, what if you graduate and you just have a science degree and you don't get in? And I was like, well, I'm going to become a doctor then. And then my mom's like, yeah, but Kate, your grades in physics and chemistry are just not, you know, where they need to be. Like, what if you can't make it in that way? And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, what? I don't know. I'm trying my best here. Like, it just those, those are the only two options I thought of. And my mom said, well, you know, your aunt Mary's a nurse. Why don't you go for nursing? And I was like, Hmm, I never thought about that. And she's like, Yeah, you're such a caring person. Like you'd be perfect at nursing, and it's gonna keep so many avenues open and there's different types of nursing. And you know, your Aunt Mary was a manager and she worked in cardiology and now she's a director and she's done so much with her career. And here's the best part: it keeps all of your options open. After you become a nurse, you can still apply to teachers' college. You can still become a teacher. And hey, You know, if after nursing, you still want to become a doctor, you can apply to med school. And there you go. It keeps all your options open. So I thought, that's quite smart. Okay, I'm going to give this nursing thing a shot. Going in blindly. Mm. And there was, it was a rude awakening when I went through that program.
1: Well, just from the little glimpse we got of you voice acting your parents there, if (laughs) everything else just kind of falls by the wayside, you can get into voice acting instead.
0: I did. I did a little bit of voice acting. Actually, that's that's in the future from now. Like, I have big plans right now to help the world in a big way. But um, you know, in the future, I would really like to get back to some of my hobbies, which acting is one of them for sure.
1: So, when you got into, like, I understand again just briefly from the conversations we had, but you got into nursing now, and when you actually got into working in hospital, all this kind of stuff, it was a little bit different than you maybe thought it was going to be initially
0: oh yeah so I applied to Ryerson I got in um to Ryerson and I started the nursing program there in Toronto in I want to say it was 2006 yeah 2006 I graduated 2010 and it was it was honestly I I was exposed to like such harsh realities like of what goes on behind the hospital walls Like it was just such sadness. And, you know, I felt like my hands were tied a lot of the time because I'd see these people who are suffering from like, for example, years of alcoholism, where, you know, after 25 years of alcoholism, they now have liver cirrhosis. And now we're just using Band-Aid solutions to fix everything. And so, you know, yeah, I'm giving medications to reduce their amount of ammonia. And I'm, you know, giving them diuretics to help them, you know urinate all the additional fluids that they're retaining but it's a band-aid solution and I started feeling really defeated and and helpless after a while because I'm someone who like really cares about other people and I am an empath like by nature and so I kept putting myself in other people's shoes and like it just like hurt me so much to to see them in that in that state and so I thought like there must be a better solution out there like why didn't we help these people 25 years ago? when they first started drinking, or why didn't, you know, maybe we could have prevented their diabetes by giving them more education on like, you know, healthy, um, you know, healthy ways of living or, well, why did the person even become an alcoholic in the first place? Maybe it was a mental health issue and, you know, they were just numbing their void by drinking. And so maybe we could have helped to support that person all that time ago. And, um, so that was, that was really challenging. I mean, obviously like seeing naked bodies for the first time was really challenging for me too. Like, you know, dealing with the different images that you're seeing and the smells that you're smelling. And, but I felt also at the same time, I felt, um, I felt really honored to be a nurse, uh, just in the fact that people trust you so much, right? Like you're like, as soon as I would say, Oh, I'm in nursing or I'm a nurse. Um, people all like, it's like their whole demeanor changes towards you. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you're a nurse. Like, that's so wonderful. And people tell you it's things that, yeah, they're like, you know, here's my, I have a rash down here. Could you check yeah. this rash out? Everyone thinks I know the answer. My dad's like, Kate, I got this spot over here. Like, can you check the spot? Um, And so where are you? Oh, there you are. Yeah. So um. Anywho, it was uh, it was it was tough, but at the same time I felt really honored, and I knew that I was in a in a position of power where I wanted to use my power for good, and I wanted to help people, and so um, yeah, that's that's a little bit about nursing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because uh, in the work that I do, there's three main professions that I tend to work with, and I'd say for first place is probably tied between. And I, you know, for those that are listening, I I work in Stress management, uh, suicide mm-hmm. intervention, all that kind of stuff. In first place is probably tied between teachers and nurses, and yeah. then some of the other first responders after the fact. And so I've I've had a bit of a privilege to be able to kind of get some inside scoop as to some of those things that you're you're talking about. But to of the course. what you mentioned kind of like brought up two thought paths for me, and one is. Uh, I remember I went to a workshop of uh, Sadguru, don't know if you've heard of him. He's a yep.
0: teacher. Yep. Yeah, program. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it was amazing being in the room with him and everything and and having him give his dissertation. But one of the things he said is how different would the world be if every doctor on the planet gave gave a like 6 months prognosis to live or something like that. Like all of a sudden how differently would people look at what they're doing to their bodies how differently would they look at their body as a whole system it kind of like you use mm-hmm. the analogy of imagine you know think of uh, these electronics that you have around the house and everything and it comes with this owner manual and you never look at it until something goes wrong and then it's all right. when it's not performing the way you want it to or it's breaking or something's off that you'll finally crack open the user manual and you'll start mm-hmm. kind of looking into it and i feel like that's so much of what happens with us you gave the example of like well why couldn't we have stopped this 25 years ago or prevented this from even starting up these habits and all that stuff because it's not right in our face we are so we there's so many of us that are such great avoidance uh that it's not blaring in our face we can kind of just sweep it under the rug until we can't so Mm -hmm. i can really appreciate that that component of it and the other aspect Mm -hmm. you touched on is just Again, it's something that's maybe starting now, we're starting to really appreciate more of the way that mental health affects all other aspects of our body and mind, but that hasn't been the case. It just hasn't been right. the case for so many years and for so many people. Right. So yeah, uh, it gives a lot of insight again to just kind of like that that shock when, when people put the veils down and they feel like when you ask them, how are you feeling today? And the default answer is not, everything's great, I'm great when you have that mm-hmm. title of nurse, maybe people start being a little bit more honest with you about what's actually going on inside their body and everything.
0: Oh, well, for sure. Well, yeah. They'll tell me a lot of honest truths about themselves, but, um, and and we'll probably revisit this thought later, but um, I was just going to say, and sometimes, you know, had we looked at someone 25 years ago and talked about what their internal needs were at the time, instead of like turning to something like alcohol, right. Where it's obviously not the best solution to their problem. What we might find is that a lot of people's root issues stemmed so far back Mm -hmm. as to their childhood. Right. And that's why my, my program and this business is like so near and dear to my heart because, you know, I, I, I want to help prevent these things from happening at an early age to prevent things in the future. And we're, we're going to touch base on this a little bit more once I start talking about after the stroke. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to it.
1: Well, we can kind of start jumping in there. But you know, okay. so now you're nursing, you're, you're in the field, yes. you're doing all this kind of stuff. What made the shift from what you were doing into focusing more around infants and babies and all that stuff?
0: So it was actually, um, it was 10 years ago, I was in my last semester of nursing school. It was four months before graduation, and I was in a really bad motor vehicle accident. So it was January tenth, 2010. And uh, the accident turned my life upside down. And I was in a lot of pain. I was, you know, I was suffering with post-traumatic stress from the accident and um my teacher at the time told me to forfeit the school year and come back in September and I said, "Well, I've just worked so hard to get to where I am. Like I want to graduate with my friends and you know, there must be another way. Like can you not accommodate me? Like I just can't do any heavy lifting right now and I can't drive far because I won't even get into a car to go downtown. At the time they wanted me to do my last uh, practicum at Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto. And so She's like, no, like you just come back in September, like you're not ready, mentally ready. So I kind of went above that teacher's head and went to like the admin of the nursing program. And I advocated for myself. And I said, you know, I should be accommodated. And she goes, you're right, you should, because any nurse would be. And I said, thank you, I appreciate that. And she goes, so we're going to put you in the neonatal intensive care unit with babies. And I was like, (laughs) okay okay maybe this backfired a bit because I wanted to be an emergent nurse at the time I was like I don't know anything about babies like okay I didn't think that I'd be in this department but you know what at least you're accommodating me I'm going to graduate on time let's give it a shot and so I worked at Brampton Civic Hospital's uh, neonatal intensive care unit and at first it was really overwhelming because I walked in and there's all these little incubators and Baby sitting in incubators, they've got monitors all over them. They've got you know nasogastric tubes in. They've got little IDs in their arms. And so my first in, like my initial thought was like I'm so overwhelmed. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know how to pick up a premature baby. Like I'm gonna break it. Mm. And all these same thoughts that most parents have, right? Especially new parents who have, or a lot of parents of that I work with, like they've never been around a newborn. And at that time, I hadn't really been around a newborn. So. Um, but I fell in love with it. Like I just felt so like once I started to understand the way these little babies operated, like after taking a few courses at that time and learning from my colleagues, like who had been there for years, I just, I started to fall in love with the process. And I thought how amazing it was like when, you know, I'd latch a baby on and it was getting breast milk from mom. And I was like, how's your body producing this? Like, this is so cool. And Mm -hmm. you know, when we do skin to skin with the baby, the baby would start regulating its temperature and its breathing. And I was just so fascinated by, by that process. And so, um, and then I got really good at understanding them. And I, in turn, started to be able to like break down information for other people who, you know, where parents were feeling really insecure or overwhelmed. I'd be like, oh, you know, this monitor is actually just monitoring their oxygen saturation. And that's what this number means on this, you know, on this, uh, what is it called?
1: Let's just call that a display. <laughs>
0: a display thank you yeah, yeah. and because like you know there's bells going off and there's like ding 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 like you know it's intimidating constant noise and it's intimidating if you don't know what things mean and so yeah. i realized then that like parents really and, and people in general like to know why they're doing what they're doing and like the rationale behind things so um it brought a lot of peace to the parents i was working with mm-hmm.
1: When you touch so it- that's
0: where it started
1: because I, a good friend of mine, uh, they just had their, they just had their first baby, and okay. things didn't go 100% smooth. They had mm-hmm. um, I think I, I don't remember the exact details, but I think there was excess ambiotic fluid. And so the baby was bobbing around, and the cord had managed to wrap its way around the baby's neck. So every time that the mother would uh, push during the contractions, it was the heart it, rate. Yeah, heart oh. rate would drop right down. It was it was mm-hmm. losing um, oxygen, all this kind of stuff. So everything went from routine, not routine, but everything went from what they would assume would be a routine pregnancy. They had their plan. Okay, yes, what
0: yes, the birth plan,
1: right? That and, goes and, out
0: the window when <laughs> the things like this happen.
1: Of uh, my friend, yeah. At this point, you get to take the baby. We'll cut the cord. You can hold it for the first time, and all this, and then all of a sudden things just were red zone no so it just like it was it ended up happening so that all of a sudden there were multiple people it, like in there now he had to take a back seat mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there were like several nurses with their arms in there Wait. trying to sort this get this around As soon as the baby came out it wasn't breathing they had to take mm-hmm. it over to the side and resuscitate and all this and the whole yeah. time he said like i didn't know what to do I'm sitting there or I'm standing there. I'm, I'm white as a ghost. My face is drained of all of his blood. My wife looks over at me for some sort of reassurance. I don't know what to tell her. I don't know what to say. I give like the yeah. most half-hearted thumbs up to her, not knowing what's happening. Is our baby okay? Is it going to survive? All this kind of stuff. And I get it in that moment. There's no time to answer those questions. First and foremost, priority is save the baby's life. Make sure that mom's okay. Mm-hmm. Everything like that. But then there's almost, in a situation like that, even more intimidation of this little baby because you just, you have in your mind just how close it was to have gone the wrong way. And right. without having those people around that can say like, you know what, everything's fine now, you can hold your baby now, you can treat it just like you would any other baby, mm-hmm. everything's gonna be fine. And without that reassurance, you're just left in this state of panic and, and mystery and all this kind of stuff. So right. with your experience, Like how has that been dealing with these parents who are again just in that like state of unknown, state of panic, all kind of stuff?
0: Well, to to be honest, like my this is why my program focuses once the baby comes out and beyond. Mm -hmm. I believe that you gotta focus on what you have control over. And unfortunately, you can prep for a vaginal delivery, I can prep myself and say, I'm, you know, there's lots of moms out there that they're they're saying, you know, I want to have a natural birth, and I'm not going to have an epidural, and I'm going to be breastfeeding. And that is my birth plan. And then, and it's good to have a plan. But it's also good to have a flexible mindset. And I work on mindset with people, because I believe that you have to be adaptable. And that's the one thing that's so hard for people because when they are fixated, I have to breastfeed, I have to breastfeed, I have to breastfeed, and then they have a baby, and maybe they don't have enough breast milk production, maybe they have inverted nipples, and the baby can't latch, maybe the baby is tongue tied, and the baby needs development of their suck before the baby can latch. There's all these different uh, variables that no one considers, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, there's a lot of judgment around, like you know, oh, oh, she's not breastfeeding, oh, she's bottle feeding, and. No one knows what the ins and outs of what someone's been through. No one knows about that experience of like, you know, that person, you know, your friend going through almost losing her child or whatever. Like, and so it's easy for people to judge from the outside. So this is where I focus on mindset a lot. That's actually the first um, step in my program. My baby bees program is, uh, is be calm. And so I talk about the mentality of parents and having positive mantras and going with the flow, Mm -hmm. no pun intended get it flow. like Okay, anyways, um, and uh, going with the flow of what is going on, because at the end of the day, you have no control. In some of these circumstances, I have no control if I'm going to be rushed into an emergency C section. But what I do have control over is my mind
1: uh-huh.
0: is keeping myself calm, is maybe saying a positive affirmation that's going to, you know, keep my anxiety from going up, which is only adding to the problem. And realizing that this little baby is going to be presenting me with different changes every day. And the more adaptable you get, that's, I think it was Charles Darwin who said that. Was it Charles Darwin? He said, like, the people who are going to do the best in the world are the people who can adapt, right, to change. And so I try to empower my my patients to, to do just that, is to, like, take it one baby step at a time in that moment and to be present and to be and, you know, try to reassure themselves because yeah, that baby could have been taken away and brought to the NICU. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? And there's a whole ton of fears. And so that's, that's the first step is like, you know, really coaching them through understanding that there's things beyond our control and having a mantra is really important. Like I, you know, I am doing the best I can, which Mm -hmm. is going to, to help take that pressure off of like oh my gosh, the baby's not breastfeeding. Like what am I going to do? Well, now I'm going to adapt. I'm going to be the best bottle feeding mom ever. And I'm going to learn everything about how to safely bottle feed and, or how to pump my breast milk or whatever. And so, you know, it starts off there and everyone's got their own unique experience. And so that's where a lot of my coaching is tailored to their specific needs, right? Because not it's not a one size fits all for, for everyone, right? It's totally dependent on the experience they've had. You know, whether the baby C-sectioned or non-C-sectioned, it it differs in the baby. A C-section baby is super mucousy in the first 24 to 48 hours because of all the amniotic fluid that they've just swallowed coming out of a stomach or a womb directly pulled out instead of making their way through the vaginal canal where, you know, they have time to maneuver their way down versus being taken out of basically like a bath of water and being all congested with all this water, right? It's two totally different babies. And my education, and you know how I'm going to guide them, is going to be different. Mm-hmm. So this is where I work with what people go through, and 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 tailor the education to that specific need. Now, most babies are the same. Like a baby is a baby, is a baby in terms of like what they need at birth. So I also educate people to understand from the baby's perspective what's going on, right? Because you have to think about it from intrauterine to in life. They've just been a cozy dark, warm, you know, place where it's like you Sounds, know, okay. li- the lights are dimmed. They're floating around in amniotic fluid, you know, they can hear their mother's heartbeat and everything's chill. And then it's like, whew, they're outside, there's lights, there's people poking them. There's, you know, there's a lot of sound. It's like everything is hypersensitive to these babies. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to break these things down, and parents develop a deeper understanding for them, then they have more control in a situation. They know what to do in a situation. Sorry, I've been talking a lot. No, <laughs> I just went on a rant.
1: <laughs> rant. So we're going to talk about after the stork, but you touched, yeah. you touched on something there that, yes, suits well with this idea of, yeah, have a plan, but be ready to yes. be adaptable flexible. and flexible. But that's mm-hmm. just like, that is probably some of the best life advice for everything yeah. like we're in the middle of a, a pandemic here yeah. and with that thing that you said about like what can i be in control of right now or worry about the things or focus on the things that i right. can control that's just that's just great life advice in Thank general mm-hmm. um because yeah and, we we have these i i you you touched on something that again another friend of mine everyone you know it goes in waves where your friends are pregnant all around the same time so yeah, oh, yeah. friends that are having babies right now and one of my good friends, they had a plan to do a hypno birth, and it was, you know, beautiful sounding and all this. And then they found out that, again, she has a, a bit of a situation where the birth canal is kind of blocked and they want to make sure that she doesn't go into natural childbirth. So they're going to have a C-section quite a bit earlier than they had initially set for their due date. So now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. instead of having like six and a half weeks until a little baby comes into the world, they have two weeks. Right. And now it's like, well, this is real now. We have two weeks until we have this uh, child in our arms and all right. that stuff. So, yeah, things are getting accelerated. We got to make sure the nursery is ready. We got to be ready to mm-hmm. adapt. And, you know, he told me about the conversation that he had with his wife when that came up. And it was like, yes, we had this great plan, the hypno birth. It sounded great. Yeah. But what is the priority here? Obviously, your safety and little baby's safety. Yes. And that was like, that was the no brainer. Okay, yes, I love what you said. Now I'm gonna be the best, you know, C-section mom that there can be understanding about.
0: Yeah, and I I can live now to tell the story of like the C-section mom and I can help other C-section moms and I can help break down barriers of, you know not feeling judged for wanting to formula feed or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's all about perspective in any life situation. And it's funny enough, Like I learned this from my car accident because I had no control in the situation. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about making it work for you. And, um, and thinking that everything is for your highest sense of good, right? Like right now, why are you going through this hardship? Well, maybe because you have a bigger mission in life, maybe you're going to run a mommy group one day and you're going to help all these other moms or maybe, you know, like, whatever you you understand what i'm saying
1: now you give um, me a story about a particular dad that mm-hmm. kind of like turned things around or at least stuck out in your mind you want to share yeah. at this point
0: sure um well first off when i when i graduated nursing just so i i can state when i got into postpartum nursing cuz i had started in the nicu but when I graduated nursing, I knew that that's where I wanted to be. But um, I started in medicine. That was my first job at Oakville Hospital. And then um, from there, I got into the postpartum ward. So my career changed in the fact that, like, I thought I wanted to work with just specifically babies and focus on them. But then once I was in postpartum, I was now looking after mom and baby. So I had two lives to worry about. And at first, it was very overwhelming. Same thing, a lot of new learning. And um it was a lot of new learning for me. And so once again, I was in the perspective of the new parent mindset where like, everything's overwhelming. I don't understand what's going on. And, um, and I learned, you know, all about mommy's body and how her body operated now and what the uterus does when, you know, she's breastfeeding and it's contracting and it's forming, you know, going back into shape. Like I was starting to become fascinated with her. And so I've actually been a postpartum nurse now for 10 years. Um, And and my career's taken me down other paths too, as you know. I ended up becoming a school teacher as well. So we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. after. But um, this one dad, one night, he uh, he was pacing the halls, and uh, he was he wasn't even my patient. He was just like looping around the nurses' station. Like I'd see him, and then and this baby was you know crying, and he was trying so hard to like soothe it. And I just kept seeing him and this poor dad looked exhausted and stressed. Like he was just so stressed. And even though it wasn't my patient, like I can't help, but want to reach out and make their life easy by teaching them a thing or two. And so I went up to him and I was like, dad, can I, I don't mean to interrupt, but like, can I teach you, can I teach you a couple things that are going to make your life like so much better? And he's like, please anything. Like, I, this, I haven't slept all night. Like, this baby's been keeping me up. I don't know what it wants. I don't know what it needs. Like, my wife just fed it. I've changed it. I don't know what it wants. So, I was okay. Let me see if this is going to work. He passes the baby to me. I bring it close to my chest and I start going shh, 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 shh. And then I take a glove and I put my finger in its mouth and I start doing some self training with it. And the baby just shuts right up, two seconds. He's like, what did you just do? I'm like, well, I mimicked the womb in one way and babies like to suck for comfort. It's a, you know, in the womb, they have their hands to suck on. It's the first thing that they know how to, it's self soothing, right? And unfortunately, the first thing we do is we swaddle a baby when they come out, we take away their hands. So then babies get stressed and they're like, where are those things? Ah ah, I'm feeling insecure right now. Where is that? And on top of it, sometimes the babies aren't even swaddled and they're super exposed and they're cold. And and it's just a matter, I, I just broke it down for him and I showed him and then um, I put the baby in the bassinet and he's like, oh, the baby's not gonna sleep in the bassinet. I said, just let me try. So I did this cool technique that I do in the bassinet to recreate the womb. And I waved my magic wand and I went, shh over the baby's face. I go, shh. Okay, just Nobody like that.
1: Can, they may not be able to see what you're doing, but you're doing some fantastic like Jedi mind trick, like hand motions right now over <laughs> your face for those that can't necessarily see you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the baby silent, like just silent, you know, goes to sleep. And he's like, I don't know what you just did, but that baby's gonna wake up in like 20 minutes and I was like just trust it go ahead dad you need to rest go to sleep and I will teach you what I did you know later on so the baby ended up sleeping for like three hours straight and he's like you know I just need to understand what it was that you did and and I told him like a lot of the a lot of the challenges is like um understanding what the baby's thinking from their perspective and once you understand their perspective you're like oh my gosh i get what they need this is all they needed and and half the time it's just recreating that womb because that's a safe space for them and they feel insecure right and so um that's sort of what got me thinking about my my business and my program is just like i kept getting the same situations over and over again babies crying they're insecure i did a couple techniques it, you know, they were quiet through trial and error over, you know, the 10 years I've worked with them. I just, every time it worked every single time, different techniques that I used worked. And, um, I get the same questions every day. Oh my gosh, is my baby getting enough milk? I don't know. How am I supposed to tell? Um, or, you know, um, it'd be like, you know, what's safe for baby? Like, how can they, uh, how do you swaddle a baby? Like, or how do you burp a baby? Or, you know, what noise does, what is this noise? Like, how do I know if my baby's hungry? And it was the same repeated questions over and over and over and over. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like everyone has the same fears. Everyone has. And, and, and so then I started talking to this dad one day and I was, you know, giving him steps. And I was like, okay, dad, if the baby cries, this is what you're going to do first off. You're going to do step one, this. Step two, this. And as I was explaining it to him, he said, hmm all your steps start with a B. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, you should totally create a program around this. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe. And he's like, no, like this is such value. He was an engineer and he, he had never been around a baby. And he's like, this is such valuable information. And he's like, and and so um, he's like, yeah, you should uh, call it the baby bees. And I was like, I should. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, but swaddle, that's an S. And he's like, a bundle and i was like okay we are on to something and this was like six years ago this happened and so it was a it was actually a thought in my mind for a long time and uh it just kept kept me up at night thinking about this thinking about how i could help people how i could you know teach people these techniques that were so easy once you, once you knew what the baby was thinking make like they're so easy to implement it's just understanding it and having a guide you know a guideline mm.
1: It's interesting talking about recreating the womb and what the baby wants and all this kind of stuff. Because I, I've I recently, I, I think it started with the book Sapiens where it's talking about human evolution and homo sapiens and all this. And then I went a little bit further and started looking into it. And there's a lot of theory out there that our gestation period as homo sapiens was actually longer than the nine month period of time. But what happened was, as Homo sapiens, as we became um, erect and we started standing on two feet, in order to evolve and adapt to be able to walk more easily, our hips became narrower. But what happened Mm. as soon as our hips became narrower, it was harder for women to give birth. So what happened Mm. was there was a lot more evolution towards premature births. The smaller the baby, the easier it was for these women to give birth and so on and so forth. So this trait Mm -hmm. of premature birthing actually became the norm for Homo sapiens. So a lot of other animals come out so much more ready to take on the world. They're much more independent, you know, even, even some of our closest uh, primate relatives, like they can hold on pretty well. They don't need to be swaddled and taken care of this much, but because Mm -hmm. of our evolution of homo sapiens, standing up birth canal, getting narrower and all this kind of stuff, we now have basically, even what we think of as like a full term baby is technically premature. And so it has Mm -hmm. so much more needs and, and almost like a distant drive and want to actually be in the womb probably for longer than we're letting it due to evolutionary circumstances. So it's really interesting to think about, yeah, okay, let's, let's thump on our chest here. Let's create some sounds of like the fluids and the heartbeat and make that warmth and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then even remembering that at birth, the part of a baby's brain that's functioning the most is the part that's mostly focused on keeping it alive
0: survival yeah it's not
1: thinking about like it's not crying because it doesn't like you mom or dad because that's not Mm. even entered into
0: it's literally um trust versus mistrust according to eric erickson Mm. theories theories of development right do i trust my parents do i not trust my parents can i rely on them for survival or when i cry do they not know how to meet my needs right exactly um i was actually going to say to your point uh marsupials kangaroos Mm -hmm. the kangaroo is born and then it goes back into the sack and it's developing you know further you know for for months later right and well i don't know if it's months or weeks i don't know kangaroos very well but the point is that it's same same with us like a baby comes out and it's not like we can just swaddle it and throw it across the room and be like, all right, you're fine over there. Like mm-hmm. there a baby needs to adapt from intrauterine to extra And like, it's an adaptation. It's, it's a transition time. It doesn't mean that the baby's ready to be on its own. It's like, no, we have to transition. That's why skin to skin is so important. It's a transitioning tool.
1: Mm-hmm. So, we so once people get
0: that, store. it's, it's go ahead. Yeah. Sorry.
1: So looking at after the store, cause I'm just keeping an eye on mm-hmm. our time and there's so much that. Yeah. We haven't really we touched on about. that. Maybe there's a part mm-hmm. two to this, but yeah. um, after the stork was born from this point in time, pun totally intended. And then mm-hmm. you started developing these bees. How many of these bees are there?
0: 10. There's so ten. there's a, it's a 10 step program to understanding and responding to your newborn's needs. Um, and it's an algorithm. It's like in an algorithm form. So like baby cries, Instead of panicking, like, ah, what do we do? There's 18 different options. I don't know what to do. You go through my B steps in an algorithm in, a, in an orderly fashion. Okay. So you do one B before the other B.
1: Right. I'm
0: not going to necessarily burp the baby. Like, for example, I'll, uh, I would normally tell because parents ask, like, when should I burp the baby? Well, when does it make sense to burp a baby? Well, maybe after they've had some food. So we'll do the breast before we do the burp. Mm. Right. And so those are some of my B's, like the bum, the boob, the burp, the bundle. I'll give you a few. Those are a few. But um, and then and then after the ten B's, I have like bonus B's. So I talk about being mom and being dad or partner, mm-hmm. and how. Um, and then I talk about being mindful in parenting. So it's a holistic approach because um, one thing I didn't mention is that uh, I went back to school and I became an elementary school teacher. So five years after I was nursing, it was still on my mind and. Then I went and uh, became an elementary school teacher. And so I worked for the Peel District School Board. I taught kindergartens to grade eights um, while I was nursing casual at the same time. And I learned a lot about children and the fact that um, a lot of their, their behavioral needs linked back to the family. Like a lot of times I would get children who were, you know, little kids like kids in grade three who were depressed who were self-harming who were taking all their anger and frustrations out by like whipping chairs across the room or threatening other children and it's like where does this behavior come from a lot of the times and it's not to put blame on anyone but the first relationship that they know is the relationship of their parents right it's the relationships it's it's the it's whether they're getting their needs met things like that and so um a, a big part of my program is making it, it it's, it's taking on, um, it takes on a holistic approach to a newborn. It's not just looking at them as, oh my gosh, how am I going to feed and burp my baby and all the physical needs of your baby? It's the mental needs. It's the emotional needs. It's the spiritual needs of your baby. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, I see it even to that depth is like, there's a little soul inside there. Right. and And we have to nourish it. It's not just changing its diaper, there's, there's love that's needed, there's bonding that's needed. And that will create, you know, a better dynamic in the family. And ultimately, uh, it's not to say that it's going to solve this child's every problem, but it's going to give them a strong foundation to thrive from. And, and that's the whole point of, of my program and my teachings. And what my business is all about is it's about, you know, teaching parents to be confident to be independent in their care towards their newborns, and it's to help create connection within the family so that everyone can just thrive and we can create a better society of people who are thriving and you know making better choices for themselves so that we can help eliminate some of the suffering the unnecessary suffering in, in the world
1: and that's the thing like so after the stork doesn't just end when they take their first step or something like that like the idea right. this is, it it's really, beyond it just mm-hmm.
0: keeps going right so, and so go ahead go ahead No, you go
1: ahead. (laughs) Because you alluded to it, you alluded to it earlier, with kind of like you know you see what's happening with that person who's drank for so much, uh, so many years, and now all of a sudden they're having issues with their liver and all that kind of stuff. When we get into psychology, and psychology is a a big um, hobby of mine, Mm -hmm. but like where does that kind of stuff start? I I followed um, I followed this one doctor who's doing a lot of uh, experimental work with using macro doses of uh, psilocybin and psychedelics to Mm -hmm. try to do some deep trauma work. And he talked about this one case study of where he had this, this like 55 year old man in his office and Mm -hmm. he macro dosed him with a cocktail of a few different things. And it brought out some of his most deepest insecurities. And as they went through it, he was almost regressing all the way back to to infancy. And one of the questions he had asked was, he, he crawled up this was a 55 year old man crawled up on his lap the doctor's yeah. lap and he said do you really want to be here or are you just here because i'm paying you are you my friend and like all this stuff started coming out and then as he went through it he actually recalled a memory of being an infant and being put in um kind of like a playpen at maybe his first birthday or something like that mm-hmm. and he remembered the feeling of seeing all these adults walking around him and all this. And every time one of them would walk by, he would think, I wanna be picked up right now, but wouldn't have the tools in order to say this. And every time that they would just bypass him completely, there was like this little feeling of abandonment and like, uh, lack of value. And why does nobody want to pick me up? I just want, I just want somebody to hold me. And this was a, a party with a bunch of people around. So that just continued to happen while the adults are doing, you know, what they would do. And, and you can't fault right. the adults. They don't know any better. They're there at right. socializing. They may wave to the baby or something, but without that tool of like, the baby can't say it wants to be picked up. How do I know it wants to be picked up? It starts crying right. or something like that is it hungry? Is it dirty? You know, soil itself, all this kind of stuff. Right. So it sounds like that's what essentially you've created this program to help us break the language barrier here.
0: Yes. And it's funny because yeah, babies do have a language. That's actually this. It's a part of the first step is be calm and be aware of cues. So be calm is for parents to be calm in their mindset and to understand that a newborn crying is a natural response. Right going from intruder to extruder in life it's a scary experience for them and if a baby's not crying then i'm worried you know what i mean like it's a normal newborn response it's a part of how they communicate but um the second part of that step is understanding their cues so what are their cues what are their sounds uh, you know um depicting like what is what does it mean if a baby's going what does that sound mean i know what that sounds mean mean because i've (laughs) yeah, they're beatboxing. That baby is going to be a rapper. Right? Okay. You you just birthed yourself a rapper. Um, but yeah, no, exactly. And so, um, once I don't know where I was going with this, once they, once they understand that language, it really helps them to connect with the baby and better meet the baby's needs. And, um, and yeah, and then, and then hopefully you don't get those issues later on in life. And I know we were talking about this the other day, but like attachment theory, I started studying it after we talked about it. And it's just so incredible to to even see my own attachment issues being played out. And it's from things that were, were I could, you know, as I'm thinking about it, it stems as far back as when I'm a four year old little kid, mm-hmm. you know, having a fear of abandonment, and now it's playing out in my relationships. And so it's just really interesting to see how psychology works and how Um, those neural pathways that we're developing at such a young age set the foundation for the rest of our lives. And yes, we can do internal work later to try to um, like uncondition yourself. Right. But at the same time, it is so deeply embedded in from such a young age, those thoughts and those patterns and that way of thinking that it's very challenging to undo. So that's why we want to set, set it. We want to, we want to, do a good job of it in the beginning, uh, to, to try to set that foundation in a healthy, you know, well-functioning way. So that maybe there there doesn't have to be as much challenges later on, right? Or violence later on, or you know, or you know, people abusing other people. Like I've I saw other children hitting and harming other children. Well, why do we do that? Well, maybe because it's a learned something they've learned or whatever, you know, psychology is deep we're not so going to work
1: friends. He always says, yeah, that hurt people, hurt people. So if, we, I, if
0: yeah. we can
1: avoid people from getting hurt in the first place, which, you know, all the credit, I know there's so many people out there that are absolutely trying their best. And yes, we don't want to belittle how tough it is. And you right. feel exhausted and you feel like you have nothing left yes. to give and all this kind of stuff. Totally. We don't want to yeah. belittle that. And that's why it's so important to have some tools, to have support, especially right now where it feels like we kind of, for a lot of us in in amongst COVID and everything, it feels like we're on mm-hmm. our own. And it feels like we yes. can't have all those people over who maybe would have been helping us through all this. So definitely we want to get some of these tools in the hands of of those that need it. We are kind of coming mm-hmm. to that time. So if people want to learn more about, because I you were mentioning that you're actually in transition of being more accessible online because of the pandemic and yeah. everything. But, yeah um if people want to learn more about after the stork how do they do that
0: they go to <laughs> www.afterthestork.ca yeah
1: after the stork. Okay. amazing yeah
0: they can find me on there and uh they can find a link to any of my social media handles there too um but yeah that's why that's why you and i met jason because i took coaching life coaching um, the coaching program that we took together, I took that because I know how conflicted some parents can be. And so a part of the program is not just fixating on the baby, but fixating on how parents can be more mindful in their, in their own, you know, ways of, uh, how they deal with things and, and looking at their own internal self so that maybe we can break some of the, the cycles that we've been exposed to. Right.
1: I love the piece that you said too, um, just before we kind of close this up about being calm, Mm -hmm. because I've talked to a lot of parents who have actually found that there's sometimes blame put in between the relationship itself, where maybe one parent feels like they pick up on cues a little bit more naturally, or they're assessing the cues differently than the other parent. And instead of Mm -hmm. seeing this as like, look, we're both here as a team, in this mm-hmm. together trying to figure this out that it's like oh mm-hmm. why don't you realize that she's cold and this is all that she needs and, and this and this and this and that's all we're, we're talking about i think in this is really just getting everyone there on the same page getting everyone supporting each other yes. and getting some more tools yeah. in the hands of those that need it mm-hmm. amazing yep well nurse no, Kate, totally <laughs> we've come to the end of our, our of our podcast unfortunately but uh, it's always a pleasure great Uh, talking with you and and picking your brain on all these different subjects so thank you so so much thank you for your time bye-bye Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, And we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening, and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.